listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. Trinity Church Chester is a new church seeking to reach the city with the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of our ministry is our Sunday worship service, in which we hear a sermon preached from a particular part of the Bible. We're glad you're listening. We'd love to see you in person at the Welsh Presbyterian Church Building on St. John Street in the city centre. We meet there every Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you can find more details on our website trinitychester.church Come and join us as we seek to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our scripture reading is from John's Gospel and several parts in John's Gospel. So we're going to read from chapter 13, verses 36 to 38 and then chapter 18, verses 15 to 18 and 25 to 27 and then from chapter 21 from the passage that we're going to be focusing on, but the earlier passages give us some background for that passage. So let's hear the word of God. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the cock will not crow till you have denied me three times. And then chapter 18, verses 15 to 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And down 25 to 27 of chapter 18. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, the relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a cock crowed. And then chapter 21, verses 1 to 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boats, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. A disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boats, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. 
So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so were the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Oh man, this is God's words. Well, here at Trinity, we're today, this is our final sermon uh, in a, se- a series of sermons in John's Gospel. And we're looking at these last few verses uh, that we just read in chapter 21, verses uh, 15 to 19. Uh, and in these verses, John tells us about a particular encounter between Jesus and one of his disciples, Simon Peter. Uh, at this point, right at the end of John's Gospel, Jesus has died and he's risen from the dead and his first disciples, his followers, had really let him down uh, and had failed him when he had been taken to be crucified. In particular, one of his disciples named Simon Peter had promised Jesus so much loyalty and courage and yet had delivered on none of his promises. He especially had failed Jesus. Now since that had happened, Jesus had risen from the dead And he had appeared to his disciples to show them that he had risen from the dead. But he hadn't yet addressed this issue of the disciples' failings. And here, he does address the issue. And this issue is particularly relevant for us because it answers the question that we have. How does God deal with us when we fail him? As his people, when we sin against him, even blatantly, How does God respond to us? And we see the answer in this simple exchange between Jesus and Simon Peter, which we're going to look at in three parts. We're going to look at Jesus' question, Simon Peter's response, and Jesus' command. So first of all, Jesus' question. What do we learn from Jesus' question here? Three times in verses 15 to 17, Jesus repeats the same question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Uh, And it teaches us that Jesus does not ignore our failings. It teaches us that Jesus doesn't ignore our failings because his questioning provokes a painful memory for Simon Peter. Uh, John tells us in verse 17 that after Jesus asked him the question for the third time, Peter was grieved. He was filled with sadness. He was upset. Uh, And what upset Peter was not so much that Jesus asked him the same question three times. But it was because it brought back a painful memory with Peter, of Peter 
uh, that Peter had associated with the number three itself. Uh, Back in John chapter 13 that we read, uh, when Jesus was beginning to explain to his disciples that he must die, he told Peter that Peter wasn't able to follow Jesus to his death. Uh, Peter responded to Jesus in chapter 13, verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Uh, He was full of courage and confidence in himself. Uh, And Jesus replied to him there in verse 38, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I tell you, uh, the cock will not crow till you've denied me three times. Which was to say, before the very next morning, Peter, before the very next dawn, you will deny me three times. Then, uh, when we read of Jesus being arrested and taken for questioning, John tells us in chapter 18, verse 15, that Peter had followed Jesus to the high priest's court where Jesus would be questioned, and one of the court servants on the door asked him if he was one of Jesus' disciples. Uh, Peter, who was so full of confidence in himself earlier that he would lay down his life for Jesus, denied that he was one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus is then taken in to be questioned, and Peter's out in the courtyard, stood with some other people, keeping warm around a fire. Uh, Some who were stood there asked him again uh, whether he was one of Jesus' disciples. And again, he denied that he was. A little while later, one of the high priest's servants is sure that he recognises Peter from the garden where Jesus was arrested, but Peter again denies it. John then tells us in chapter 18, verse 27, that the cock crowed. Before the very next morning, Peter had as Jesus foretold, denied Jesus three times. He had promised Jesus loyalty and courage, and he had failed him. And here is Jesus in chapter 21, and he asks Peter the same question three times. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he asks Peter the same question three times in order to walk him back to this memory, to a night that he deeply regrets. We can all relate to things, can't we? Uh, To having things in our past that we deeply regret doing. Uh, Things that we wish we could remove, those painful memories that we wish we could remove. Things we've done that we wish we could undo. Uh, Things that we didn't do that we wish we had the chance to go back and do. Things that we beat ourselves up for. Things that make us wonder whether God really could accept us. And so since we can all relate to this painful sense of deep regret that Simon Peter has, we want to ask the question, don't we, why is Jesus making Peter relive this? Why is he raking up these painful memories for him? Well, it's not because he's vindictive. It's not because it makes Jesus feel better to know that Peter feels really bad in some way. Um, But it's because Jesus wants to do a deep work in Peter's life. One Christian minister from the past once said that when God wounds us, he wounds us like a surgeon in the hospital. A surgeon will wound you in your body, but only in order to heal you, to do you more good than harm. And like a surgeon, God causes us to feel the pain of regret when we come face to face with our failings, so that he might do us good. He wounds us in our souls as he convicts us of our sin in order that he might heal us. And that's what Jesus is doing with Peter here. He's in a sense wounding him by taking him back to that thing that he so wishes he didn't do in order that he might do him good and restore him 
We see that, in, we, we see that that's Jesus' aim, uh, to restore him. Later on in the passage, when Jesus commissions Peter to feed his sheep, to look after his people, Jesus wants to make Peter fit for the task by doing this important surgical procedure on his soul. And the way that Jesus performs this surgery is not by taking Peter back to that painful memory, not, not only by taking Peter back to that painful memory, but by taking him even further back than that, by taking him back to the beginning. It's as though he is saying to Peter, let's, let's start again. Because in, in his question, he refers to Peter's original name. Verse 15, it says, Simon, son of John. He says it again in verse 16 and 17. Now, there's only one other occasion in all of John's gospel when Jesus refers to Simon Peter in this way, as Simon, son of John. In all of Jesus' other conversations with Simon Peter, the only other time that he referred to him as Simon, son of John, was the very first time that they met back in chapter 1, verse 42. There, at the first meeting, Jesus said, So you are Simon, son of John, you shall be called Peter. He gave him this name, Peter. And then ever since, whenever he's referred to in John, he's referred to as Simon Peter or Peter. But here in chapter 21, Jesus once again refers to him as Simon, son of John. He's taking him back to the beginning. And he's not doing that as some kind of punishment for Simon Peter. He's not saying, Simon, you've blown it so badly that I'm downgrading you from one of my closest friends and followers to the same status as someone I've just met. He's not doing that or anything like that. He's taking him back to the beginning because like the skilled surgeon, he wants to restore Peter. He's in a sense pressing the reset button, paving the way for a fresh start. How does God respond to us when we fail? He graciously, lovingly, skillfully seeks to restore us, to rebuild us, to remake us. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, we should take note that it means that God doesn't ignore our failings. Sometimes we want to ignore them, don't we? Sometimes we'll do all that we can to remove the memory of them. We'll try to avoid somebody who we've done wrong to so that we don't have to think about it. We'll try to rewrite the memory of the thing to somehow justify what we've done. All the while, we're trying to ignore our failings. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't ignore our failings. Yet amazingly, he doesn't do what we might expect him to do either. He doesn't say to us, right, you've, you've messed up. Now you've got to pay the consequences. Instead, he treats our sins, all of which are ultimately against him, as opportunities to restore us, to rebuild us, to remake us. Now, just think about that for a moment. He not only forgives us, he not only pardons our sins, but he even uses them to bless us. What we intended for evil, God uses for good. This is how God deals with us as his people who regularly fail him. And we should also note that because God does not ignore our failings, often when he addresses them in our lives, it's uncomfortable. It's painful. But we need to remember at those times that the pain is the pain of the surgeon's knife. Which, although it initially hurts, it is ultimately for our good. So, 
When you feel burdened about something in your past, that that thing that makes you just want to close your eyes and shout until the memory of it passes and you can think about something else, that discomfort that you feel in your soul, it may just be God lovingly addressing something in your life that needs to be addressed. And so instead of closing your eyes and shouting and trying to ignore whatever it is, be ready to say, God, you are the skilled surgeon of my soul. And I trust you to restore me, however painful it might initially be. He wounds in order to heal. Now, to change the analogy a little bit as we we move on, often when we're trying to build something, we can go wrong somewhere, can't we? And we can end up with something that isn't fit for purpose. That flat-packed piece of furniture furniture that we try and assemble, uh, even though we've been studying the instructions intently as we've gone along, we reach the point where it's clear that we've done something wrong. And the only way to put it right is to take it apart and to start again, to rebuild it and to address the issue that caused it to go wrong. Jesus here, in a sense, takes Peter apart. He takes him back to this painful memory of his failure. He takes him back to the beginning of his relationship with him. And he does so in order to rebuild him. So the question is, what was it that went wrong for Peter? What was it that Jesus needs to address? And we see the answer to that question in Peter's answer. So Jesus' question, firstly. Secondly, Peter's answer to Jesus. Peter's answer to Jesus' question highlights what it is that we need to learn, what it is that needs to be addressed in our lives. And it's this. God graciously brings us face to face with our failures so that we might stop relying on ourselves. We see this in Peter's answer to Jesus. Uh, We see it particularly in his his first answer, his answer to Jesus' first question. Look down at verse 15. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, this is the only question out of the three, the three times in which Jesus asks it. Jesus adds those words, more than these. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And that is to say, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? And when we first read that, we might think that that's a strange question for Jesus to ask. Why is he inviting Peter here to compare his love for Jesus to others' love for Jesus? It's because that's exactly what Peter had done previously. And the verses that we read from chapter 13... Uh, When Jesus starts to explain to the disciples that he's going to die, Peter doesn't respond and say, no, Jesus, we will all lay down our lives for you. He says, I will lay down my life for you. Don't read of any of the other disciples making such a claim. Peter, here and elsewhere, he's putting himself in top spot when it comes to loyalty to Jesus. He's claiming to love him more than others do. When Jesus asks him here in chapter 21, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter doesn't accept the invitation to compare his love with the other disciples. Even though he responds by saying, yes, Lord, the way that he follows that statement up, it shows that he's not saying, yes, Lord, I love you more than these do. But he's simply saying, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. See, there's no self-confidence here in Peter's response. He's no longer willing to say that he's top of the disciples' leaderboard. There seems to be more of a humility about him. 
And that's backed up by the fact that when Jesus keeps asking him the same question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter doesn't point to any evidence in himself to demonstrate to Jesus that he loves him. Did you notice that? I look down at, again at these questions and answers from verse 15. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What is it that Peter now points to as evidence that he really does love Jesus? He points to Jesus' perfect knowledge of all things. You know, you know, you know everything. You know that I love you. Imagine how unsettling this question would have been for Peter as he's asked it a second and then a third time. As he searches his soul. He asks himself whether he does love Jesus each time. And each time the answer rises up in him, yeah, yeah, I do. I do love Jesus. Yet each time the question must have crossed his mind, how can I show Jesus that I love him? How can I prove my love to him? And perhaps as he's asked the question a third time and he's reminded of the three times that he's denied Jesus, he's very obviously failed to show that he loves him. He begins to realise that the point of Jesus' questioning isn't to offer Peter a second chance to show that he loves him. But the point of Jesus' questioning is to bring Peter to the place where he can see that even in spite of Peter's failure to prove his love to Jesus, Jesus still loves him. And Jesus doesn't want Peter to prove his love to him, but he wants him just to trust in Jesus' love. And wonderfully, as Jesus carries out this deep soul surgery, Peter seems to get it. So he's saying, I can't bring myself to say that I love you more than anyone else loves you. And I can't point to any perfect evidence of my own to prove that I love you. But you know, you know everything. You know that however weak my love for you is, it is still true that I love you. So Jesus lovingly weans Peter off trusting in his own courage or his own competence. And he leads him to trust only in Jesus. You know, Lord. You know, as we experience the discomfort of being brought face to face with the past that we'd rather forget, we can face the same temptation that Peter faced to try and prove ourselves to Jesus. I know I messed up, Lord, we might pray but I'll make it up to you. I know that I sinned, Lord, but I'll do better. But in that situation, it's as though Jesus draws alongside us and says, stop trying to prove yourself to me. Leave behind this confidence that you have in yourself to do better and simply trust in me. And when we begin to understand that this is how God responds to us when we fail, our prayer changes from... I know I messed up, Lord, to you know, Lord. And our confidence shifts from I'll do better, Lord, to you can restore and remake me, Lord. You can change me. God wounds our souls so that he can heal, and healing 
begins by us being weaned off our self-reliance and being led to trust in God. And thirdly, finally, briefly, after each of Peter's answers to Jesus' questions, Jesus responds by giving Peter a command. We've seen Jesus' question, Peter's answer. Thirdly, Jesus' command. The command in verse 15 is, feed my lambs. In verse 16, tend my sheep. In verse 17, feed my sheep. The wording is slightly different in each verse, but the command is essentially the same. Be a shepherd to my people, Peter, is the command. And this command shows us how God continues to care for his failing people. He commissions shepherds to shepherd them. Uh, This idea of a shepherd of God's people It's a common idea that is spoken of throughout the Bible. We read earlier from Ezekiel 34, uh, where one of God's prophets rebuked the leaders of Israel in the Old Testament because they did not shepherd God's people rightly. Uh, The role of a shepherd in ancient Israel was to guide and to protect the sheep. And so the prophet was rebuking the leaders in Israel for failing to guide and protect the people of Israel as they ought to. But in response to the failings of Israel's leaders, the passage in Ezekiel ended with, God declaring, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And in John's gospel, that's exactly what we see. Jesus declares in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. But the question is, who is going to care for his sheep when he returns to the Father? People like Peter, who are commissioned to shepherd Jesus' people. Peter obviously spent a lot of time reflecting on this commissioning in one of his letters, which we have in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 5. He addresses elders in the church. Elders is one of the most frequent titles given to those who are appointed as shepherds in the church. He writes this in 1 Peter 5. As a fellow elder, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is what Peter is saying. This is what church leadership in the church looks like. This is what you should expect of your leaders in the church. This is what you should aspire to. If you believe that God is calling you to leadership in his church, it looks like shepherding. It looks like guiding, caring, leading gently and humbly, leading by example, knowing all the while that the Lord Jesus is the chief shepherd and his people belong to him. We could spend time looking at the role of shepherds in the Bible in more detail. It'd be worthwhile for us to do that. But we've also got a supreme example of what it means to shepherd God's people here in this passage that we've been looking at. The Lord Jesus, the chief shepherd, firmly, gently, lovingly, draws alongside Peter with the aim of restoring him, drawing his focus away from himself towards Jesus. And our prayer as a church, or to be for leaders like that. Our prayer for this congregation ought to be for leaders just like that. 
So how does God respond to us in our failings? He draws alongside us. He addresses the issue. And any pain he inflicts, he inflicts only so that he might do as the ultimate good of weaning us off our self-reliance to rely on Christ. And he even commissions shepherd leaders in his church to follow his example and carry on his work. And when you take a step back and think about it, it is amazing that God does that. It is amazing that here we see the risen Lord Jesus, the one who has overcome death, using his death-conquering power to restore his wandering people. Why wouldn't we trust ourselves completely to him? You know all things, Lord. You know that I love you, Peter says. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these things that we've been thinking about. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, who rightly, justly, and yet gently and graciously shepherds his people. Thank you for what we learn here about how you deal with us and respond to us in our failings. We pray that you would help us be willing to face up to these things and to turn away from ourselves and to turn to you. Lord, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith and what it means to live as a Christian, please do get in touch. You can email hello at trinitychester.church or head to the Connect page on our website, trinitychester.church forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you soon.